Hello, and welcome to Sex, Drugs, and Everything Else. I'm your host, Alex Trust. How's everyone doing tonight? I took last week off because I did a podcast with my friend Greg Huntermark, and I used that as an excuse to um, not do my own podcast. So, what are we going to talk about tonight? Uh, well, we're going to go back and do a little more about sex. Um, then we're going to talk about a definition of a word or concept that does not exist, but the concept definitely exists. Then we're going to uh, have a little bit of music and we're going to read chapter 6 of Henchmen. So, you're ready to go? I hope you are, because I am. I'm raring to go. Alright, let's do it. Alright, so, sex. Let's talk about it. Uh, the first episode I ever did was uh, about anal sex, and uh, before we started talking about that, I introduced the concept that sex is such a complex subject, and there's just so much to talk about it, that, you know, I went straight to anal not to be boring. Well, this week we're going to try something a little more tame but still, I think, interesting. Uh, we're going to talk about numbers. What's your number? What's my number? What's my wife's number? And by number, I mean how many people have you had sex with? And does it matter how many people you've had sex with? We're also going to talk about the difference between women's numbers and men's numbers and how that affects well, just about everything in our sexual society. So I guess we'll start there. Women, if they have a large number, are considered uh, sluts or whores. Men, if they have a large number, are considered players or Casanovas, if you want to use the old word. Um, what's the difference? Now, I think it has to do a little bit with evolution, so we're going to talk about that first. Now, evolutionarily, we are animals. Just because we have these big brains and these thumbs and we have phones now doesn't make us any less animals than we really are, especially when it comes to emotions like uh, basic emotions like procreation and uh, fight or flight, stuff like that. So procreation is sex, alright? That's the point, the original point of sex is procreation. Now, what I believe is that women are still considered whores if they fuck a lot because they're supposed to be the gatekeepers. They are supposed to make sure that they find the most, um, most or best male to pass on genes 
to the offspring. Now, it is the male's job, evolutionarily, to fuck as much as it can, to pass on as much of its DNA as it can to everything it can. Pretty much anything that looks like it, it wants to stick its whatever it has in there. Usually it's a dick, but um, some animals have different equipment. So I think evolutionarily that's the original reason why there's such a um, mental difference between how we think of men and women and the number. Now, that was thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. One could argue that it was at least 10,000 years ago when humankind was first, uh, you know, discovering fire and the wheel and things like that. Um, women still had to be very discerning because if they just let anyone fuck them, they could end up with a horrible offspring. And back then, you needed the best offspring you could because that offspring was not only going to make you immortal in a sense, but it was going to help you survive, help your tribe survive. Um, however, we don't live like that anymore. We have technologically evolved. We've socially evolved. Um, we've mentally and emotionally evolved to a certain extent. So should it still be like that? Should we still think like that? I don't think we should. Just with the advent of birth control, you have the ability to have sex just for pleasure. And as everyone knows, sex is one of the things that you can do for free that is very pleasurable. Well, it's usually free, um, you know, world's oldest profession and all that. Some guys pay for it. Some women pay for it. More guys than women, but, you know, what it is, what it is. So, what's your number? My number isn't very high. My number's nine, and that includes my wife. Um, that is basically, as I have said before, I um, identify as male heterosexual, so what that number that I gave out, that basically is penis to vagina. You know, I actually had intercourse with nine women, all right? Um, I've had intercourse many, many, many more times than that with those women, um, especially my wife um, and other long-term uh, girlfriends that I've had. Uh, my wife's number is much higher. Um, she's not even exactly sure what it is but it's in the 20s or 30s somewhere. She was a flight attendant for quite a lot of years, and uh, they would, you know, fly from city to city, and she'd meet, you know, these uh, dashing pilots, or, uh, you know, they'd go out to bars, and she'd uh, find someone that she wanted to 
fuck, and, well, damn, she'd take him back to her hotel and fuck him. Um, she did have some long-term relationships with, uh, especially with one guy who was a pilot, um, and I'm sure she fucked him hundreds of times, but she has a much higher number than me. Now, should I be jealous of that? Should I be pissed? A lot of guys would be, I think. And once again, I think that's just wrong. Um, I don't care. I'm glad she was able to have as much pleasure as she could because she was always safe about it. She was always conscientious, conscientious of birth control and things like that. Um, the time she wasn't, she got lucky. Um, so what exactly is wrong with her having had a much bigger number than me and having much more sex than I did? Absolutely nothing, in my opinion. So I think this is something that maybe you should talk to your partner about. Now, it could get you in trouble. It most definitely could get you in, in, in trouble because uh, the number is... Uh, it's one of those faux pas, you know, especially if the woman's number is bigger than the man's, which we just talked about. Now, it could be the other way around, too. If the man's is so much bigger or he claims it's so much bigger because men tend to claim that their number is much bigger than it usually is, um, the woman might get jealous and think that, you know, since her number was so much smaller, that she's so much less experienced and might feel um, less than because of that. Um, I don't think she should. I think experience comes from repetition, not from how many partners you have. You can learn some new things from different partners, but I learned more from having sex over and over and over and over again with the same women than I ever did with the one-night stands or the two-night stands that I had, the shorter relationships. Because that was just fucking. That was just sex. There was no emotional involvement. And, well, sex doesn't have to be uh, tied into emotion. It usually is. And in my experience, when you love someone or and care for them, the sex is so much better. Take it how, how you will. Uh, but it's what I've found. I'm no expert on sex. I'm just a 43-year-old man who's had uh, plenty of it. And the best sex I've had in my life have been with people that I care and love about, lo care about and love. So that's another thing. You know, kids, young kids... Listen to this, if you're listening to this at all. I don't think I have a, a very uh, big demographic of 16 to 18-year-olds. But don't be pressured. Don't feel pressured to have a big number. Especially, you know, men in the locker room like, Oh yeah, I, I fucked six women already. And I'm only 16. You're lying. 
first of all. You're definitely lying. And your friends know you're lying, but they don't want you to lie. So they, you know, give you a high five and a slap on the butt. Um, and I don't know how it works for women exactly. Um, I think in high school, if they're known to have had many partners, they're usually, once again, considered sluts and are slut-shamed. Um, that's an interesting term, slut-shame. I'm uh, kind of glad it came into the vernacular because it, from what I understand, it means that you should not shame a woman for wanting to have sex just for pleasure or to dress uh, in a sexy manner. Quite frankly, I still am confused about uh, how women dress because <laughs> if you're going to dress sexy, if you're going to show me your boobies and you're going to wear short shorts so I can see your booty, um, and then you get mad at me for staring at you. I mean, I don't like stare creepily or anything, but, you know, if I see uh, an attractive woman, you know, wearing very revealing clothes, I tend to look, you know, it's hard not to. It's hardwired into us by millions of years of evolution to seek out uh, attractive mates. And, I mean, these are women that I would never even try and talk to. I mean, first of all, I'm married, and I enjoy monogamy. I think it's one of the greatest things in my life. But then again, monogamy is kind of outdated, too. It works for some people, but for uh, these newer generations, I don't know. I don't think monogamy is what it used to be. It used to be um, so the men would stick around and take care of the kids and they might go down to the tavern on the weekend and, you know, pay a couple shillings to uh, get with the local um, lady of the night. But they didn't have uh, mistresses. They couldn't afford them. Uh, they, they didn't, uh, have more than one wife. They didn't have, uh, more than one family. Uh, it was very tied to religion, uh, which is why religion is also sort of, a lot of it is sort of outdated. There's a lot of good stuff in the New Testament that still holds true till to, to today, but a lot of it is just old tradition, it's old dogma that causes nothing but problems in the world. And I'm not just talking about Christianity, I'm talking about Islam, I'm talking about Judaism, I'm talking about Hinduism, the whole shebang. But we're not talking about religion, we're talking about sex. And we're talking about what your number is. So, once again, what's your number? And what do you think about it? What do you think your partner's number is? Do you know? Do you want to know? And if you do know, what do you think of it? And if you don't know, would you like to know? Or would you rather just be ignorant of it so you don't get jealous, so you don't feel bad about yourself? Personally, I think 
if you're in a serious relationship, you should definitely know. Um, it should definitely be a conversation because in a serious relationship, everything should be a conversation. Relationships are just like everything else in life. They are tools. They are the tool of companionship. Um, and if they're done correctly, they can bring great happiness and satisfaction. If they're done incorrectly, they can bring misery and resentment. So I think it should definitely be a conversation, not an argument, a conversation, a civil conversation, which can sometimes be hard to do. People get emotional very quickly, especially about stuff that's sensitive like sex. But if you want to have a better sex life, I suggest having the conversation. And if it's gets to the point where you just can't agree, then leave it alone and hopefully be able to move on from it. Because once again, I want to reiterate, I am not an expert on this. I am just a guy with some ideas. But anyway, so that's it. That's, uh, that's the segment on numbers. So figure out what you want to do with it. If you don't want to do anything at all with it, don't. If you do, try it out. It might help. Alright, coming up next on segment two, I'm going to make it uh, a little weird. It's, it's about a concept that doesn't have a word. Um, you'll find out what I'm talking about. Coming up next on sex, drugs, and everything else. Welcome to segment two of Sex, Drugs, and Everything Else. I'm your host, Alex Trust. Now, we're going to talk about something, I don't know, I find fascinating, but you might just find it weird. But we're going to talk about it anyway because it's my show, damn it. Okay, so in this day and age with streaming services like Netflix and Hulu and all the other ones, we have this new thing called binge watching. Um, We've been doing it since the advent of DVDs, but it was not as prevalent back then. Now, all we have to do is click on Netflix and we can watch, you know, three uh, seasons of a show in two or three days. Now, I used to have this same feeling about books when I would read them. I would get so involved in the characters and so involved with the story that when the book ended... I would have this sadness, I would have feel this emptiness, because either it was a standalone book, and that meant I never got to read about those characters again, or if there was going to be a sequel, it would be years before I would ever get to read it. And I always had this very particular feeling about it, 
and it wasn't sadness exactly it wasn't dissatisfaction exactly I don't exactly have a word for it now I think with the advent of streaming services and all this binge watching we do we're having that feeling a lot more often and a lot more people are having that feeling you know you binge watch um, three up or three seasons or five seasons or something and you get so involved with those characters you get so involved with that story it really takes over your life you think about it at work all day you think about it through dinner you can't wait to sit down with your husband or your wife or your kids and watch another episode and then after that watch another episode and then after that watch another episode so when it's over how do you feel I know how I feel it's the same way I felt when I ended a good book when I was a kid I feel listless in a way I don't know what to do with myself I don't want to just start another show right away you know it almost feels like I'd be cheating on the show I just watched the closest thing the closest word in the English language that I've been able to find that describes this is ENU E-N-N-U-I definition a feeling of listlessness and dissatisfaction arising from a lack of occupation or excitement now that's kinda close but it definitely doesn't fit the bill completely okay first of all watching or watching a show or reading a book isn't an occupation um, the lack of excitement that works the listlessness and dissatisfaction that works but we're not always dis we're not always uh, dissatisfied at the end of a show in fact a lot of times we're like whoa I can't believe how that ended that was so awesome so what do we call this feeling there is no word for it I've looked it up I've looked it up in pretty much all the major languages French German um, uh, Czech, uh, let's see, um, Cyrillic, um, some Middle Eastern languages, um, Spanish, and there is no word for it. And it's bizarre, especially now that we have so many words that used to just be um, in our lexicon of um, slang words that are now in the dictionary. Sorry, I'm smoking a cigarette. And I'm lighting it. So you're just going to have to deal with it. Anyway, so I find it very bizarre that there's no word or phrase for this. So I think we should come up with one. Now, I'm no linguist. Sometimes I'm a cunnilinguist. A cunning linguist. Ha ha ha. I'm terrible at jokes, I'm sorry folks. Um, but I think there should be a word or phrase for this uh, particular new feeling that we uh, are experiencing as 
a world, actually, because, I mean, streaming services are everywhere now. Netflix is in pretty much every major country, both first world and third world. So, what do we call it? What should we call it? Now, I'm asking, because I don't know. Like I said, I'm not a linguist. I want suggestions. I want you to write in, or to call in, or to uh, go on Facebook and talk about it, and figure it out. Because I think it's important. Uh, Communication, language, is one of the most important things we have going for us. And if we don't have a word for something that so many people are experiencing, I think that's almost downright dangerous. And if it's not dangerous, it's at least a damn shame. So, what do you think? Do you think that you can uh, take a little bit of time, maybe away from watching an episode of Narco, to get on Facebook and talk about this? Try not to go on Instagram. All they ever talk about is fucking politics. And I fucking hate politics. Orange man and old man can battle it out. And uh, whichever one wins, it's really not going to make a difference. (laughs) Not really. Um, But I'm not going to talk politics. I'm never going to talk politics. I hate them. Um, The only time I'll ever do a segment about politics is about eradicating them completely and self-governing. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about how you feel when a streaming um, series is over and we've discussed it. So that's going to be it. This is a short segment because it's a short subject. But I will say this. In fact, I will reiterate this. Don't be lazy. Get together with your friends. Talk about it. Come up with a word. Use ancient Greek if you have to. Use some German. Germans are always good at uh, coming up with uh, strange words. Um, So, yeah. Try it out. Do something. Do something for society. Don't just sit around watching TV. Alright, coming up on segment three, we're going to have a little bit of music by my man Splice and his uh, cohort, um, who I can't remember his name, I think it's Anon, and then we're going to read chapter six of Henchmen. So, coming up on segment three of Sex, Drugs, and Everything Else, Entertainment Baby. Okay, so here we go with my man Splice and his cohort Anon. This this is called Life's a Riddle. Let's go. How many times have you thought about life? Life through a thick 
plan or really was it someone else? Can you see me hiding in trees? I look like a keeper out throwing cookies from the trees. Children trying to build a building bigger than the Eiffel Tower. Why you gotta be so sour? Why you gotta be so sweet? That's me, you sour patch kid, bitch. Sour sweet gone. First you get a track and now you be gone. That's just me, my dick is long I was gonna say my name, but I don't say my name For you motherfucking lames, you some punk pussy bitches You some wanna be snitches, act like me But you could never sound like me, even if you had a CD Life is a Riddle by Splice featuring Anon. What'd you think? Well, that's the end of the musical seg- segment of Section 3. Next is going to be Chapter 6 of Henchmen. I hope you enjoy it as much as you've enjoyed the other chapters. Here it comes. As I settled in at Panthera's headquarters, I found a sense of belonging I'd never encountered before in my life. Even though I was the new guy, all the other henchmen treated me like I'd been there for years, just like one of the guys. I felt contentment drilling with them in mock battles, having BS sessions in the barracks, and eating meals and sharing stories of our lives with each other, like soldiers on any battlefield in any army. 
These men knew they had to reply, rely upon each other for survival. In combat and at home, a supervillain's secret lair can be a dangerous place for regular humans. Panthero was a Class B metahuman, a genetically created half-breed, man and panther, made in a government lab. It was the same kind of super soldier program, and the rumor is the program was terminated and all subjects killed, except Panthera. He escaped and continues to seek revenge on the government and the world in general to this day. You see, most supervillains aren't in it for the money. Sure, they'll tell you that's what they're after, but it's really something else. Something deeper. Some, like Panthera, are looking for revenge on those they felt have wronged them. Others are looking for a measure of control over their environment. Wasn't it Jack Nicholson that said in The Departed that said, I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. What a great quote, especially for a supervillain. These men and women, twisted by possessing powers no one should know, outside the norm and society, they strive for a measure of control over their surroundings, maybe just so something feels familiar. How alien the world, mundane as it must seem to them, to such an extraordinary individual? Of course, some villains are just looking to cause some mayhem, thrill seekers and grudge holders. These guys just revel in the chaos. But hey, even that could be interpreted as a form of control over your environment. Even the real terrors, the world destroyers, have their reasons, I guess. Panthero was a smash and grab type of villain. We did basically two kinds of jobs, heists and mayhem missions. The heists were straightforward, banks and armored caravans and shit like that. The mayhem was a little stranger. We destroyed government labs, freeing subjects if we could, taking technology when we found it. Panthera always went in himself on these forays and always, always tried to hack the government files to find more information on the lab that created him. I don't know if he was ever successful, but he sure tried. I went on half a dozen missions or so and did my job. I kept my head down and didn't try to distinguish myself or get out in front. We each had a job to do so the next good guy could do his. It was simple really, like clockwork. Most of the resistance we encountered was from police SRC units, super crime responses, or minor heroes, so we never were in huge amounts of danger. Not enough. Danger enough, sure, when police LAS cannons are bursting all around you or assault choppers take a direct missile hit, you feel fear. You know you're mortal and made of flesh. But these are things that you can cope with. It's not the same kind of danger as the implacable power of a class A or B metahuman. So my first year or so as a henchman was gravy. I found a routine and fit right in. As usual in my life, this would not last. The mission was an R&D lab on an army base in Montana. We were to go in fast, strike hard, level the place from a distance, we weren't going in this time. 
which I thought was odd. The word was, whatever was being done in this lab, Panthera thought it was too dangerous to chance getting near. Now, a lot of supervillains have number twos, a sidekick of sorts, to either help lead the men or plan the missions, etc, etc. Panthera's second in command was Pussycat, and oh man was she something else, tall with long jet black hair, green eyes slitted like a cat's, heavy of ass and tits, but with a leaf long frame, God, she was hot man. No one was sure if she was meta or not, but she was certainly deadly and ruthless. It was not wise to cross her. Most didn't survive it. She didn't always come on missions with us, but she did on this one. She always rode with Panthera, and it just happened that I'd been picked as one of his bodyguards on this mission. So, for one of the first times, I was in close proximity to both my boss and Pussycat. I couldn't take my eyes off her. I think she noticed, but didn't say anything. As we deployed, I saw we had a large open field to cross if we were going to get anywhere near the facility. There were cyclone fences in between us and the field. I couldn't understand why we weren't taking the choppers in closer to our target. It seemed an unnecessary risk to cross all this open space. Then things began, began to become more clear as I watched my comrades working in teams, unpacking equipment and advancing on the fences. We really weren't going anywhere near that facility. We were going to blast it with plasma cannons and then launch incendiary bombs into the rubble, effectively eradicating the entire structure. Everything was quickly and efficiently set up, and we were only minutes away from our assault when everything went to hell. I had nothing more to do than guard Panthera, so my eyes were out, and I was, and I was one of the first to see it. It seemed nothing more than a ripple through the long grass of the field separating us from the target building. It could have been mistaken for a breeze running across the vegetation, yet the night was still. I tensed, sensing something was amiss, but not knowing what exactly. I thumbed my comm and reported to my team leader. Movement, direction, action, north, unknown quantity, over, I told him. Don't get jumpy, five. Stay on point, he replied to me. I scanned the field but saw nothing. The air seemed heavy with tension, foreboding. I couldn't shake it. I couldn't shake the feeling something was about to go very, very wrong. So I took a chance and I spoke up again. There were eyes on us. I knew it. Listen, something's wrong. We're being observed. Threat imminent. Respond, I said over the general channel this time. I was still reporting to my team leader, but I was letting everyone else know what I thought was up as well, including Panthera. My team leader did not take kindly to this. Damn it, Five! I told you to hold steady. What the hell do you think you're... He was cut off by the first of the screams. Contact! Contact! 
Oh my god, what the... What are they? Call after call from the men setting up the equipment at the fence came over the comms. They were all quickly silenced. We were under attack. That much was now apparent. But by what? No one could see anything. Men were just disappearing into the grass without a trace. My team formed a protective circle around Panthera and Pussycat. Panthera was busy giving orders for reserve teams to move into place to man the equipment left unintended by our, unattended by our casualties. Pussycat crouched low, eyes narrowed as she scanned her surroundings. She seemed so feral, so focused, that I found her even more attractive than before. Everything was quiet again, too quiet, too still. Panthera gave the countdown order to fire the plasma cannon. Three, two, but before he could finish, they were all around us. At first, they seemed just blurs at the edge of my vision, flicking in and out of focus. I'd see a quick blur, then a man would go down, hard and bloody. They seemed like they were every, everywhere at once. I tracked back and forth with my plas rifle, but there was nothing to shoot at, nothing to target. Within 30 seconds, our ranks were in shambles, a third of our men down or dead. Equipment was on fire or otherwise trashed. Our mission was a wash. Luckily, Panthera wasn't a stubborn man. He saw there was nothing we could do and called the retreat. The assault choppers were only seconds away from pickup. This was not going to be quick enough, though. The remaining troops had formed a double circle around my team and were facing outward, giving us a 360 unobstructed view, yet men were still going down without anyone seeing much of anything. We were being slaughtered, and there didn't seem to be anything we could do about it. The outer circle of men was gone now, just a ring of about 20. Then the six men on my team and Benthura and Pussycat in the center. The choppers were in view when the more men started going down. We were desperate. At the rate of loss we were taking, no one would be left by the time the rescue landed. I had an idea. Have the choppers lay down a concentrated field of fire all the way around us. Build a wall, damn it. Build a wall of fire, I yelled across the comm. Someone agreed because a second later the choppers let loose with everything they had. Explosion and death sprang up all around us. And I got my first look at what had been stalking us. Panthera had been right to keep us away from that lab. He was right to want to destroy it. The creatures they'd created there could only be the I don't even know what to call them, what definition to use, but they weren't anything close to human, although it was apparent they had started out as such, misshapen in every proportion, arms too long, eyes too large, more claws and teeth than anything else, these creatures were the stuff of nightmares, inhumanely fast and without apparent reservation about killing. I looked into the eyes of one, and it burned and shuddered. All I could see was male malevolence in those orbs, pain and hate. Whatever these things were, they should not exist. We started to load up as soon as the chopper landed on our position, firing over our shoulders now that we had something to shoot at. 
there were still several of the creatures and the assault choppers hadn't gotten most of us. Most of us were still on the ground, Panthera included, when my turn came. I was about to load up when I saw that Pussycat was still on the ground. I couldn't believe it. What the hell was she doing? Now Panthera and the rest of the men were on the chopper, but I still had not gotten on because what was I to do about my second in command? If I left her, Panthera would surely kill me. If I left her, I surely would hate myself, even if he didn't. I started back toward her and noticed she was still in that feral crouch I'd seen before, her head tilted slightly up as if she was testing the air. She seemed perfectly balanced and at ease, even among all the carnage and mayhem around us. The perimeter of the fire the choppers had created was dying down now that we were at the pickup stage and should have been on our way. I was almost a pussycat when I saw the telltale blur move in toward us. I thought we were dead for sure. What I saw next amazed me. Pussycat flicked out an almost casual kick and sent one of the creatures spinning. It was back up and at her quickly and their dance of death began. The creature was everywhere at once, all around Pussycat, but she never faltered and was never hit. She lashed out again and again and slowly took that thing apart. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. As we deployed, I saw we had... I wondered about Pussycat's meta status now that I knew what she was capable of. She was a force to be reckoned with. She hit the cr creature one last blow and it faltered and went down. It did not get back up. Panthera was screaming at us to get the hell on the chopper and threatening to leave us if we didn't. I don't think he would have, but you never know. Pussycat turned and grinned at me, triumphant with her victory, when she was hit from behind by two more of the damn abominations. I wasn't sure what to do, how to save her. I couldn't see my targets, they were too fast. So I improvised. I knew Pussycat was down and I knew they were up, so I overloaded my plasma rifle and let loose with one constant six second blast. I ran the beam in an arch in a space over where Pussycat went down. The rifle melted in my hands, the power core overloading. I was burning horribly, even through my armor but it worked. As I blacked out from the pain, I saw those last two creatures stopped as if frozen and then fall neatly in half. I wasn't awake for it, but as we retreated, Panthera did something that I admire to this day. He broke one of the few unspoken rules in our game. He used a nuclear device. He flattened that entire base and I couldn't have agreed more. Whoever had created such creatures didn't have any ethics or morals. For what purpose other than mayhem and carnage could such monstrosities be unleashed for? I'd seen the pain and fury in their eyes. Those things had been in their own personal hells. The only control or relief they'd had was to kill. I hope their creators are in their own hell now, and those creatures have found peace. Alright, I hope you enjoyed it. 
Um, that's going to do it for this show. This has been episode 6. Episode 7 will be coming next Tuesday or Wednesday. As I've promised, I'm going to give you one every single week. So try and keep up. And I'll see you next time. May love and gratitude brighten all your days. Peace.